Chapter Three of Flood Tide. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Flood Tide by Sarah Ware Bassett. Chapter Three, A New Arrival. The new idea, whatever it was, was evidently not one to be hastily perfected, for the next morning when Celestina went downstairs. She found the jaded inventor seated moodily in a rocking chair before the kitchen stove, his head in his hands. "'Law, Willie, are you up already?' she asked, as if unconscious of his nocturnal activities. The reply was a wan smile. "'And you've got the fire built, too,' went on Celestina cheerily. "'How nice!' "'Eh?' repeated he, giving her a vague stare. "'The fire?' "'Yes. I was saying how good it was of you to start it up.' The man gazed at her blankly. "'I ain't touched the fire,' he answered. "'I might have, though, as well as not, Teeny, if I'd thought of it.' "'That's all right,' Celestina declared, making haste to repair her blunder. "'I've plenty of time to lay it myself.' "'Twas only that when I saw you settin' up before it, I thought maybe you'd built it, cause you were cold.' "'I was cold,' acquiesced Willie, his eyes misty with thought. "'But I warn't noticin' there was no heat in the stove when I drew up here.' Celestina bit her lip. How characteristic the confession was. "'Well, there'll be a fire now very soon,' said she, bustling out and returning with paper and kindlings. The kitchen will be warm as toast in no time, and I'll make you some hot coffee straight away. That'll heat you up. This northerly wind blows the cobwebs out of the sky, but it does make it chilly. Although Willie's eyes automatically followed her brisk motions and watched while she deftly started the blaze, it was easy to see that he was too deep in his own meditations to sense what she was doing. Perhaps, had his mood not been such an abstract one, he would have realized that he was directly in the main thoroughfare and obstructing the path between the pantry and the oven. As it was, he failed to grasp the circumstance, and not wishing to disturb him, Celestina patiently circled before, behind, and around him in her successive pilgrimages to the stove. Such situations were exigencies to which she was quite accustomed her easy-going disposition quickly adapting itself to emergencies of the sort. So skillful was she in effacing her presence that Willie had no knowledge he was an obstacle, until suddenly the iron door swung back of its own volition and in passing brushed his knuckles with its hot metal edge. "'Ouch!' cried he, starting up from his chair. "'What's the matter?' called Celestina from the pantry. "'Nothing. The, the oven door sprung open, that's all.' "'It didn't burn you?' "'No, but it made me jump,' laughed Willie. "'Why didn't you tell me, Teeny, that I was in your way?' "'You weren't in my way.' "'But I must have been,' the man persisted. "'You should have shoved me aside in the beginning.' Stretching his arms upward with a comfortable yawn, he rose and sauntered toward the door. "'Now you're not to pull out of here, Willie Spence,' 
Celestina objected in a peremptory tone, "'until you've had your breakfast. "'You had none yesterday, remember, thanks to that pump. "'And you had no dinner, either, thanks to Zenas Henry's pump. "'You're going to start this day right. "'You're to have three square meals if I have to tag you all over Wilton with them. "'I don't know what it is you've got on your mind this time, "'but the world's worried along without it up to now, "'and I guess it can manage a little longer.' Willie regarded his mentor good-humoredly. "'I figure it can, Celestina,' he returned. "'In fact, I reckon it'll have to content itself for quite a spell without the notion I've run afoul of now.' Celestina offered no interrogation. Instead, she said, "'Well, don't let it harry you up. That's all I ask. If it's going to be a long, drawn-out piece of tinkering, why, there's all the more reason you should eat your three good meals like other Christians. Next you know, you'll be getting run down, and I'll be having to brew some dandelion bitters for you. She came to an abrupt stop, halfway between the oven and the kitchen table, a bowl and spoon poised in her hand. I ain't sure, but it's time to brew you something anyway, she announced. You ain't had a tonic for quite a spell, and maybe twould do you good. A helpless protest trembled on Willie's lips. "'I... I don't need any bitters, Celestina,' he at last observed mildly. "'You don't know whether you do or not,' Celestina replied with as near an approach to sharpness as she was capable of. "'However, there's no call to discuss that now. The chief thing this minute is for you to sit up to the table and eat your vittles.' Docilely the man obeyed. He was hungry, it proved, very hungry indeed. With satisfaction, Celestina watched every spoonful of food he put to his lips, inwardly gloating as one muffin after another disappeared, and when at last he could eat no more and took his blackened cob pipe from his pocket, she drew a sigh of satisfaction. "'There now, if you want to go back to your inventin', you can,' she remarked, as she began to clear away the dishes. You've took aboard enough rations to do you quite a while. Notwithstanding the permission, Willie did not immediately avail himself of it, but instead lingered uneasily as if something troubled his conscience. Say, Teeny, he blurted out at length, if you happen around by the front door and miss the screen, don't be scared and think it stole. I had to use it for something last night. The screen door? gasped Celestina. Yes. But, but, Willie, the door was new this spring. There wasn't a brack in it. I know it, was the calm answer. That's why I took it. But you could have got netting over at the store today. I couldn't wait. Celestina did not reply at once, but when she did, she had herself well in hand and every trace of irritation had vanished from her tone. "'Well, we don't often open that door anyway,' she reflected aloud. "'So I guess no harm's done. "'It's a full year since anybody's come to the front door, "'and like as not twill be another before—' "'A jangling sound cut short the sentence. "'What's that?' exclaimed she, aghast. "'It's a bell.' 
I never heard a bell like that in this house. It's a bell I rigged up one day when you were gone to the junction, exclaimed Willie hurriedly. I thought I told you about it. You didn't. Well, no matter now, he went on soothingly. I meant to. Where is it? demanded Celestina. It's in the hall. It's a new front door bell, that's what it is, proclaimed the inventor, his voice lost in a second deafening peal. My soul, it's enough to wake the dead, gasped Celestina with hands on her ears. I should think it could be heard from here to Nantucket. What set you getting a bell that size, Willie? "'Twould scare any caller who dared to come this way out of a year's growth. "'I'll have to go and see who's there, if he ain't been struck dumb on the door-sill. "'Whoever can it be, coming to the front door?' "'With perturbed expectancy, she hurried through the passageway, Willie tagging at her heels. "'The infrequently patronized portal of the Spence mansion, it proved, "'was so securely barred and bolted,' that to unfasten it necessitated no little time and patience. Even after locks and fastenings had been withdrawn and the door was at liberty to move, not knowing what to do with its unaccustomed freedom, it refused to stir, stubbornly resisting every attempt to wrench its hinges asunder. It was not until the man and woman inside had combined their efforts and struggled with it for quite an interval that it contrived to creak apart far enough to reveal through a four-inch crack the figure of a young man who was standing patiently outside. One could not have asked for a franker, merrier face than that which peered at Celestina through the narrow chink of sunshine. To judge at random, the visitor had come into his manhood recently, for the brown eyes were alight with youthful humor and the shoulders unbowed by the burdens of the world. He had a mass of wavy, dark hair, a thoughtful brow, ruddy color, a pleasant mouth and fine teeth, and a tall, erect figure which he bore with easy grace. "'Is Miss Morton at home?' he asked, smiling at Celestina through the shaft of golden light. Celestina hesitated. So seldom was she addressed by this formal pseudonym that for the instant she was compelled to stop and consider whether the individual designated was on the premises or not. yes she at last admitted feebly. "'I wonder if I might speak with her,' the stranger asked. "'Why don't you tell him you're Miss Morton?' coached Willie in a loud whisper. But the man on the steps had heard. "'You're not Miss Morton, are you?' he essayed. "'Miss Celestina Morton?' "'I expect I am,' owned Celestina nervously. "'I'm your brother, El Nathan's boy, Bob.' Celestina crumpled weakly against the doorframe. "'Nate's boy,' she repeated. "'Bless my soul! Bless my soul and body!' The man outside laughed a delighted laugh so infectious that before Celestina or Willie were conscious of it, they had joined in its mellow ripple. After that, everything was easy. "'We can't open the door to let you in,' explained Willie, peering out through the rift. 
"'cause this blasted door ain't moved for so long "'that its hinges have growed together. "'But if you'll come round to the back of the house, "'you'll find a warmer welcome.' "'The guest nodded and disappeared. "'Land alive, Willie!' ejaculated Celestina, while they struggled to replace the dislocated bars and bolts. "'To think of Nate's boy appearin' here! I can't get over it! Nate's boy! Nate was my favorite brother, you know, the littlest one that I brought up from babyhood. This lad is so completely the livin' image of him that when I clapped eyes on him it took the gimp clear out of me. It was like havin' Nate himself come back again.' With fluttering eagerness, she sped through the hall. Robert Morton was standing in the kitchen when she arrived, his head towering into the tangle of strings that crossed and recrossed the small interior. Whatever his impression of the extraordinary spectacle, he evinced no curiosity, but remained as imperturbable amid the network that ensnared him as if such astounding phenomena were everyday happenings. Nevertheless, a close observer might have detected in his hazel eyes a dancing gleam that defied control. Apparently it did not occur either to Willie or to Celestina to explain the mystery which had long since become to them so familiar a sight. Therefore, amid the barrage of red, green, purple, pink, yellow, and white strings, they greeted their guest, throwing into their welcome all the homely cordiality they could command. From the first moment of their meeting, it was noticeable that Willie was strongly attracted by Robert Morton's sensitive and intelligent face, and had he not been, for Celestina's sake, he would have made an effort to like the newcomer. Fortunately, however, effort was unnecessary, for Bob won his way quite as uncontestedly with the little inventor as with Celestina. There was no question that his aunt was delighted with him, one could read it in her affectionate touch on his arm, in her soft, nervous laughter, in the tremulous inflection of her many questions. "'Your father couldn't have done a kinder thing than to have sent you to Wilton, Robert,' she declared at last when quite out of breath with her rejoicings. "'My, if you're not the mortal image of him as he used to be at your age, I can scarcely believe it isn't Nate.' His forehead was high, like yours, and the hair waved back from it the same way. He had your eyes, too, full of fun, and yet earnest and thoughtful. I ain't sure but you're a mite taller than he was, though. "'I top Dad by six inches, Aunt Teenie,' smiled the young man. "'I guessed likely you did,' murmured Celestina, with her eyes still on his face. "'Now, you must sit right down and tell me all about yourself and your folks. "'I want to know everything, where you come from, when you got here, how long you can stay, and all.' "'The last question is the only really important one,' interrupted Willie, "'approaching the guest and laying a friendly hand on his shoulder. "'The doings of your family will keep, and where you come from ain't no great matter neither.' What counts is how long you can spare to visit in Wilton and your aunt. We ain't much on talk here on the Cape, but I just want you should know that there's an empty room upstairs with a good bed in it that's yours, long's as you can make out to use it. Your aunt is a prime cook, too, 
and though there's no danger of your mixin' up this place with Broadway or Palm Beach, I believe you might manage to keep contented here. I'm sure I could, Bob Morton answered, and you're certainly kind to give me such a cordial invitation. I wasn't expecting to remain for any length of time, however. I came down from Boston, where I happened to be staying yesterday afternoon, and had planned to go back tonight. I've been doing some postgraduate work in naval engineering at Tech, and have just finished my course there. So, you see, I'm really on my way home to Indiana. But Dad wrote that before I returned, he wanted me to take a run down here and see Aunt Teenie and the old town where he was born. So, here I am. Willie scanned the stranger's face meditatively. "'Then you're clear of work and starting off on your summer vacation.' "'That's about it,' confessed Bob. "'Anything to take you west right away?' "'No, nothing, except that the family have not seen me for some time. I've accepted a business position with a New York firm, but I don't start in there until October.' "'You're your own master for four months, huh?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Well, I ain't a-going to urge you to put in your time here, "'but I will say again, in case you've forgotten it, "'that so long as you're content to remain with us, "'we'd admire to have you. "'Twould give your aunt no end of pleasure, I'll be bound, "'and I'd enjoy it as well as she would. "'You're certainly not considering going back to Boston today,' "'chimed in Celestina. "'I was,' laughed Bob. "'You may as well put that notion right out of your head,' said Willie, "'for we shan't let you carry out no such crazy scheme.' "'But to come launching down on you this way,' began the younger man. "'You ain't come launching down,' objected his aunt with spirit. "'We ain't got nothing to do but inventin', and I reckon that can wait.' Glancing playfully at Willie, she saw a sudden light of eagerness flash into his countenance. But Bob, not understanding the illusion, looked from one of them to the other in puzzled silence. "'All right, Aunt Teenie,' he at last announced. "'If you and Mr. Spence really want me to, I should be delighted to stay with you a few days. The fact is,' he added with boyish frankness, my suitcase is down behind the rose bushes this minute. Having sent most of my luggage home, and not knowing what I should do, I brought it along with me. "'You go straight out, young man, and fetch it in,' commanded Willie, giving him a jocose slap on the back. Nevertheless, in spite of the mandate, Robert Morton lingered. "'Do you know, Aunt Teenie, I'm almost ashamed to accept your hospitality.' he observed with winning sincerity. "'We've all been so rotten to you, never coming to see you or anything. Dad's terribly cut up that he hasn't made a single trip east since leaving Wilton.' The honest confession instantly quenched the last smoldering embers of Celestina's resentment toward her kin. "'Don't think no more of it,' she returned hurriedly. "'Your father's been busy, likely, and so have you. And, anyhow, Men ain't much on follerin' up their relations or writin' to em. So don't say another word about it. I'm sure I've hardly given it a thought. That the final assertion was false, 
Robert Morton read in the woman's brave attempt to control the pitiful little quiver of her lips. Nevertheless, he blessed her for her deception. "'You're a dear, Aunt Teenie,' he exclaimed heartily, stooping to kiss her cheek. "'Had I dreamed half how nice you were, wild horses couldn't have kept me away from Wilton.' Celestina blushed with pleasure. Very pretty she looked standing there in the window, her shoulders encircled by the arm of the big fellow who, towering above her, looked down into her eyes so affectionately. Willie couldn't but think, as he saw her, what a mother she would have made for some boy. Possibly something of the same regret crossed Celestina's own mind, for a shadow momentarily clouded her brow, and to banish it she repeated with resolute gaiety, do go straight out and bring in that suitcase, Bob, or some straggler may steal it. And put out of your mind any notion of going to Boston for the present. I'll show you which room you're to have so as you can unpack your things, and while you're washing up I'll get you some breakfast. You ain't had none, have you? No, but really, Aunt Teeny, I'm not— Yes, you are. Don't think it's any trouble, for it ain't. Not a mite. Willie beamed with good will. "'You've landed just in time to sit down with us,' he remarked. "'We ain't had our breakfast, either.' Celestina wheeled about with astonishment. Willie's hospitality must have burst all bounds if it had lured him, who never deviated from the truth, into uttering a falsehood monstrous as this. One glance, however, at his placid face, his unflinching eye, convinced her that, swept away by the interest of the moment, the little old man had lost all memory of whether he had breakfasted or not. She did not enlighten him. "'Maybe it ain't honest to let him go on thinking he's had nothing to eat,' she whispered to herself. "'But if all them muffins and oatmeal and coffee don't do nothing toward reminding him he's at once, I ain't going to do it. This second meal will make up for the breakfast he missed yesterday. I ain't deceiving him. I'm simply squaring things up. End of chapter 3 Recording by Roger Moline